Good morning. This is Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. And today we have a special guest, Kim Nielsen, the founder of Computer Technologies Incorporated, all the way back from 1991, which means she's got super tons of experience here. She's the president and chief technology strategist of the organization, authored a book called How to Avoid Being Squeezed by Your So-Called Computer Expert, which I have to say, Kim, is an incredibly valuable topic. <laughs> it really is. It kind really of is. ties into some of the things we're talking about today, I think. That's right. And Kim is a member of the Department of Homeland Security Cyber Fraud Task Force, member of InfraGuard, which is a partnership between the FBI and the private sector, which promotes education pertaining to the protection of the country's critical infrastructure. She also serves on the ASCII Group's member advisory group and the Troy School District's Career and Technical Education Advisory Board. What a gambit of <laughs> things you are involved in. <laughs> I like variety. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I assume you've also just accumulated these over your many, many years of experience. Yes. So today's topic, we are going to be parsing out some of the risk issues associated with cloud. Cloud, we're not totally against cloud. Okay, we'll just put that out there. We're not totally against cloud, uh, but we are against people using cloud improperly and not making good risk-based decisions about how they're using cloud. And we both find that there is a tremendous amount of context that needs to be evaluated for each particular use case, which is why it's so crucial to have deep conversations with your trusted IT services and business advisor, such as Kim's business or my business. And um, because there is no one right answer. And as Kim has so saliently pointed out to me in the past, uh, that sometimes there's more than one right answer. <laughs> So um, I, I want to first start off on uh, some of the counterparty risk issues, and then we can get into uh, some pros and cons. And we'll, I always love to talk about specific uh, examples w that are tangible that people can relate to about, okay, well, this would work good versus, you know, this would not be the right choice for something to do cloud hosting with. So one of the things that came up that I noticed in the Microsoft CSP Direct Partner community was... Microsoft was basically changing the game again. And every time Microsoft changes the game, they affect the subscriptions of all of the people that are utilizing Azure, for example. Now, you know, the Office 365 subscriptions are fairly portable, fairly movable and things like that. But Azure subscriptions are very deeply tied to, or I should say Azure provisioned resources are very deeply tied to the subscriptions. And sometimes those resources cannot be moved between subscriptions without deprovisioning them and rebuilding them. So one of the counterparty risk issues that I find is that I don't really think people understand this when they sign on and they say, oh, yes, um, you know, you Microsoft partner, go ahead and build these things for us. How do they manage that risk of being able to have portability of that subscription and the resources provisioned on that, uh, especially in the context that it's just good business practice to have an exit plan or a migration plan. If you need to ever separate from that provider, maybe the provider goes out of business, maybe your business needs change. 
Uh, heck, maybe uh, your customer's business gets acquired. That happens too. So, so give me your thoughts on that. <laughs> well, that was a lot. Um, there are a lot of risks, and and I think they all have to really be evaluated against the the business the business risk as well as the security risk. Um, how is it going to fit into other things within the business? You definitely have to have an exit plan. Um, you know. <laughs> The subscription part to me is the biggest because you can lift and shift the actual data from the server. But when you, you talk about the subscriptions and a lot of times they are not easy to move. So it, it becomes very painful and costly. So those are types of things that I think need to be considered too as you're trying to make the decision, is the cloud worth it for us? You know, for your, your organization is, um, it, that has to be considered. Okay, if we are going to move, what kind of costs are going to be involved if this doesn't work out three to five years from now? And I say three to five years because once you make the decision to make the move, boy, I don't think I've ever seen anybody reverse that in much less than a few years. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it's not something you just do in an afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I've specifically seen where they they thought they were going to have a particular outcome, especially where they thought they were going to have cost savings or they yes. thought they were going to have improved service. And in reality, it doesn't turn out that way. And then they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I thought I was going to pay $1,200 a month. I'm now paying $5,000 a month and we just financially cannot sustain that. And mm -hmm. so now there's this huge additional expense of a project to reverse all of that. Exactly, exactly. And then there's issues too in, in that situation. Um, you know, what kind of contract are you in with your software or with the platform with the platform? You know, now are you having to break a contract to get out if you yeah. you know not only the cost of well, well, sure. I mean, let's look at Azure reserved instances as a great example of that. Yes. I mean, yes. Microsoft pushes these like a hot bandit mm -hmm. saying that we'll get you, you know, the best pricing, but you have to have a three-year commitment. Mm -hmm. So this is, I, for me, it's always been one of those things of finding out what are the red line cases. So if you're going to go do something, whatever the heck it is, let's go look at that red line case and find out if you're paying for it at 100% with no discount, how ugly is that? Right. And then implement that, look at it for a while and say, are we really, 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 really sure we want this? Stay. Only at the point in time that you're really, really, really sure you want it. Otherwise, I wouldn't go with a three-year contract. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm kind of a strange one on contracts anyways. <laughs> I don't like three-year contracts in general. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think it's very difficult to just say that you can predict what your business is going to need and that it's going to consistently be that for the next three years. And I guess I say that too, and I guess I need to take a small step back because I, I guess it can depend, um, but for the most case, well, I, I don't think you can, unless you really know the, unless you really know the direction you're going, what you're getting yourself into. And a lot of times I don't think you, you know that until you're there. Mm -hmm. Oh Yeah. I mean, this is why I've been so adamant about the only time we're really going to do a project for a client is when we've done it multiple times already. We've got 
thoroughly vetted and, and tested documentation for it. There are sometimes it comes up when somebody says, can you do? And I'll just tell them, well, um, yes, we can do, uh, but this may be the first time we're doing it. So it's just going to take longer and we'll just have to work out some things. And I think as long as that honesty is there, it can be okay. But, you know, as, as a um, service provider, IT consultant, like we are, that's one benefit we can bring, even though you've maybe never done that particular thing before. There's so many things we have done where we can draw on that experience. So similar things or, or things that just would help us make a decision on this particular project. Um, that a lot of times I think that's lacking on an internal, it's nice to have somebody to kind of give you some guidance on some of those types of things. Well, yeah, to your point, the, there, the theme song rhymes and repeats over the decades. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and, and even though it might be a little different today, it's just different. <laughs> We've seen it before. <laughs> yep. It's interesting how many similarities there are, there are between poorly written software packages that rhyme throughout the ages. Yes. You can almost predict where, where their issues are going to be coming from. Um, and, and that's actually one of the reasons why I think we're so good at vendor risk management and vendor assessments, you know, assessing uh, is that software package actually going to do uh, what it's supposed to do. And one example that um, I use a lot is you can sit down with the sales engineers. And I actually went through this whole process where I wrote a 40 page document of the requirements for something. I presented that to two different sales engineers for a particular software company. They said, yup, 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 our software can do all that stuff. <laughs> we proceeded to waste a bunch of time over the next three months finding out that time after time after time after time, nope, their software couldn't do it. And it was one of those, you know, one year commitment things. And when it came down to it, it became this legal battle that was like, do you really want to go to court and have us present to a judge all of the proof here that you committed fraud by lying utilizing two of your sales engineers, meaning like, oh, it wasn't just a single employee mistake. No, no, no. I specifically no. had two of your sales engineers sign this off on this. This thing. is a company culture issue. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, sell you know, just sell them, sell them, sell them. And, and that's, yeah, that drives me crazy. Um, so, but, but that kind of like proactive work is oftentimes the only way that you're going to be able to get out of a contract. Yes. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Be very specific. If you do have the, you know, specific requirements, make sure you do have it in writing that they're committing so, to that. Let's uh, transition a little bit to the security aspect, because one of the things that I've personally observed is the plethora of cloud hosted things that are being hacked. And it seems they get hacked because the layers of protection in the cloud are not the same they're not at least as good as what was on premise. And a lot of that is due to two factors. One, it's more expensive to do security in the cloud and uh, because you just don't have the economies of scale with it. And uh, secondarily, it's an experience and expertise issue amongst the people who are actually implementing that. 
the cloud security strategies are usually completely different tool sets. If you have a, a premise vulnerability management and assessment platform, can you directly apply that to the cloud assets? Typically, no, you can't. I mean, so I think one of the risks that I find in a hybrid approach is people fail to realize that they now have to duplicate everything that they've got. The backup system you use on premise is probably not the same backup system you're going to use in the cloud. You know, the security solution you're using on premise is not the same you're going to use in the cloud. So I think they're failing to acknowledge that that is one of the cost implicators in the cloud strategy. And because they haven't fully thought that through and vetted it and predicted it, then they fail to execute and then things get breached. Yeah, and I have to agree with that. And and there's a huge misconception out there by a lot of people that Microsoft's got them covered. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't need to worry about it, you know, and you're right. It's, it's, if you do hybrid, you're basically, you've got multiple servers again, and now you're on multiple platforms and it is a different technology. And there are different um, considerations also and concerns on cloud. now, I will say, too, though, it, it again, it depends because I think of some situations with some small businesses, let's call them micro businesses, you know, seven to 10 employees. And in in a case like that, sometimes the cloud makes sense because of the fact they can't afford the enterprise class infrastructure, the edge equipment, the firewalls, the routers. Um, the threat man, you know, unified threat management, they, they really can't always afford what they would get on a cloud platform. Now, a lot of it, I think, too, depends on the cloud platform. We're talking a lot about Azure here. There's, you know, there's what I call um, private clouds, which is private data centers. So a little different situation. Yeah, and some of those offer you better alternatives as well. Yes. Uh, I know some years ago I looked at, I think it's about two years ago, I looked very deeply into the cost of Azure Firewall and then uh, purchasing the virtualized version or the cloud-hosted version of a unified threat management appliance Mm -hmm. because Azure Firewall at the time was like $900 a month regardless of, like that was your floor, right? That's what you were going to- Regardless of size. Correct, right. That's a deal breaker for a small business. It is. It's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. And So if you, which I think is actually one of the reasons why most people aren't using Azure Firewall. And -hmm. even if you look at saying, all right, I'm just going to go buy my virtualized UTM, you know, appliance and put it out there that when you run the cost profile of that, that's like another $350 a month between your consumption for resources, compute, traffic, Mm -hmm. and it's not even including any sort of management overhead, anything like that. That's just licensing and stuff. So it's you're at 350 a month for that. And so unless you've got a lot of cloud resources, it can be very difficult to justify that level of security. So then this is exactly why people end up with just stateful packet inspection rules, which don't have unified threat management. Yeah. 
but but again, um, you know, a lot of small businesses, though, I know you deal a little more with enterprise, their quote unquote security would scare the crap out of you because <laughs> I mean, it's not fair. Um, but as I say, they don't know what they don't know. And then, of course, it comes down to, um, you know, it's got to be cost effective for them. And I will say, I, I want to say in the past two, three years, it seems like there has come become there are more solutions for smaller businesses that are cost effective. Yeah, talk about some of those. Talk about some of those. Yeah, go ahead. Talk about give us talk about some examples. Well, I mean, even even down to unified threat management and, and higher class, you know, equipment at, at the edge for small businesses has come down. Um, I'm trying to think some of the other services. Um, well, we have SASE now. SASE is an option. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think SASE is just really so necessary and a phenomenal option that didn't exist two years ago. I mean, two years yeah. ago, we had a situation where if you wanted to provide something even remotely close to that, you would have to have some sort of a centralized premise where you did have a UTM appliance and then everybody had to be VPNing back to that. And, you know, for many reasons, which we don't need to go into here, that, that, that it really is not the greatest approach. Right. <laughs> and now you can just do SASE everywhere if you wanted to. Um, one, one caveat I will say with SASE is that SASE does not actually create the network for you, right? It's, it's actually not a substitute for creating the real network. So when you have phones and you have surveillance cameras, you have IoT devices, you have a guest wireless, you have you know all of these various things where you need to actually create the network, you still need a real appliance for that. The only thing that the SASE is going to do is create a network layer security solution around an endpoint that you can actually install the agent on. So, I mean, yeah. obviously we can't install the agent on a desk phone, you know? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I don't know of anybody that's working on that. No, I don't either. <laughs> um, so far that doesn't seem to be a, don't even scare me with that being another well, I don't, issue. We, we yeah, I don't, I can't imagine the financial efficacy of that because your typical SASE is anywhere from 35 to $45 per month. Mm -hmm. per endpoint right. and then you know like you're you're gonna have the 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 sd gateway and that's like a loaded 50 bucks a month so nobody would pay that for a bunch of desk phones <laughs> no yeah, yeah. <laughs> until we start computing on them um. <laughs> well let's talk about some let's talk about some use cases now in terms of like, I'll just start it off here and then you can build upon it. So I have some clients where we have looked at doing cloud-hosted servers for them in Azure, in private cloud, you know, in, in other private cloud spaces. We've actually looked at some co-locations. So a colo, for those of you that are listening that don't know, is basically a private data center that you're effectively renting space in and you take your servers and you physically put them there. So colos are typically 700 bucks a month. So that's not cheap. I mean, if you're going to put five servers in there and you already had them, then, you know, maybe that's okay. 
but still how many months are you paying $700 a month before you've basically paid to upgrade your physical office infrastructure, right? I mean, okay. Then we have some clients who are just really very um, diversely, physically, geographically, disparately located, and they don't actually have any sort of single office. And in that context, boy, that server does need to be cloud hosted. So then you're really struck with two questions. Um, are you going to put that in your MSP data center and host that for your client? Are you going to put that in something like Azure? We'll just pick on Azure in this case. And when I've done the numbers on that stuff, what I find is because of all the things we've talked about already, most of the time I can't get that price tag for those servers in Azure to be cost-effective when you consider all, all the management, the backup solution, the, the, fit, the network layer security and, and all of those sorts of things. So go ahead, what's your thoughts with that? Well, I, I mean, I have to agree. I, I, as I say, to me, cloud is not the, the be all do all answer to everything. It, it's so dependent on use case and, and business needs, but many times, now, now sometimes there's a, a situation too where maybe cost isn't the issue. Now, maybe cost isn't the issue now, um, and maybe there's some sort of convenience factor or, you know, something else involved that, that makes it a good business sense. But again, I think in that situation, you really need to look. And I think so many people avoid that step. If it doesn't work or we need to get out, what is our cost going to be involved to move, out, you know, move back, remove ourselves from that situation? But it is when you start... I can't really, I can't really agree, even at the small business level, necessarily that there's a cost savings. But sometimes there's just some other things that get thrown in. Um, we got one client; they're just they're building for some reason. The electrical service is just terrible over there, so their internet goes out all the time. Well, then you think, well, big, you know, well, you can't can't use your cloud if you don't have the internet. And we do have an on-premise server there. We do have, for us, on a small business level, if you have less than like 25 people, I just can't see bringing in an exchange server. Oh, agreed. Yeah, I, I just think that's crazy. So, of course, there's always that. But that's what we tell people with cloud, call it cloud even, um, you know, Microsoft 365. It's like, you got electrical problems, go home connect to the internet you can do whatever you want from there if you're you know if you're fully cloud hosted right um, and so well, many people i just had the discussion last week with somebody talking about um uh what was the dns outage that went on a few weeks ago <clears throat> and they were talking about cloud you know brought down fedex and a few others and mm -hmm. Delta actually, because I was traveling at that time. Um, but, you know, they were talking about, you know, and you're in the cloud and this and that. And I'm like, the same thing can basically happen with on-prem. I mean, I, I do have that argument. There's so many things that, that people say, well, in the cloud, this can happen. And it's like, you can have an outage. I'm like, in your own building, you can have a tornado go through and blow it, you know, take the whole building down. You can have electrical outages for a few days. And scares me what else can go on with all this cyber stuff but um well so I, said, I mean 
what you're articulating here is that actually everything has risk. Yes. And people need to be making informed decisions. And in order to do that, they actually have to go through this intellectual exercise and probably write it down in a strategic plan and say, look, these are the things that are part of our context. Like we don't have a backup generator. Our power is not reliable. You may have a situation where you have an organization that says, even if our internet connection is down, we still want to be able to connect to our stuff. And we feel like we've invested in high quality stuff for our premise. And, and so then for them, the premise is the way they want to go. I've got many organizations who just don't have big enough bandwidth pipes to the point where extricating everything to the cloud is even technically feasible. What I was going to, yeah, that, that, that entered my mind earlier. Sometimes there's connectivity issues and cloud is not an option uh-huh. um, because of the bandwidth or reliability, location, whatever. Well, yeah, let's push the accelerator down on that idea for a little bit here in terms of there's a lot of applications out there that are client server. And many times the server side is a SQL sort of database, some sort of database. These databases were all designed to function at least with 100 megabits bi-directional communications. So most people have cable internet connections. Maybe they've got 400 meg down, but they might only have 20 meg up. And then you've got five users, five users simultaneously trying to do upload of 20. Well, you know, that's 20 divided by five. Okay. So that's clearly not a hundred megabits for every single user to have simultaneous connectivity to a database. And so see, that's another cost that I think needs to be considered when, when you're looking at cloud, Um, you know, what is the bandwidth? Do we need multiple connections and, you know, bond them together to get what we need to be able to, to work effectively. Right. Redundant internet um, at utilizing SD-WAN technologies. And more often than not, you're going to end up just having to pay more in an internet connection any which way you slice it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, what other, um, <clears throat> we've got about five more minutes left. What other salient points do you have for us on this topic? As you know, today we're learning from Kim. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, I was put you in the hot seat now. Yeah, didn't I? I was <laughs> well, I, I think the big thing, um, and and it, well, you and I had a prior conversation about software vendors, and I and I think this is very similar when we were talking about software vendors. You know, they're so focused on making their product easy to use, fast, blah blah blah. They're not always thinking about security. And we talked about a few years ago, it wasn't as big of an issue. I think it's similar in this situation when people are looking at moving to the cloud, I don't think they're considering, they're so focused on just that one point and I don't think they're considering all these other things. Well, bandwidth, well, what if it doesn't work out? How do we get out of this? How do we bring it back in? What is the cost involved? Um, You know, what are we being tied into? So I, I think that's some things that, um, and, and how do we get that out to the general public that that's something they need to think about. And I think that's the problem is a lot of times when people are making these decisions, they're, they don't know what they don't know. Right. 
They're not asking the right questions. Yeah, they're not asking the right questions. And a lot of times I think they can get themselves into trouble, um, you know, huge mistake, waste a lot of money type things. And, and I think it's just more and more important these days. And I know this is not the just of our conversation, but, but getting somebody involved on a, on a uh, consultant type level, talk to somebody, <laughs> because as I say, I think there's a lot of things you're, most people wouldn't even think about. Right. And I think you and I think about them more because they bit us in the past. We didn't think about them in the past. And, or, and yeah, I for, learned. <laughs> yeah, for me, a lot of times um, I have spent inordinate quantities of hours of my lives having to unwind the mess that someone somebody else made through getting snow jobbed by someone else. So, you know, the sales guy for the software company comes in and says, oh, we can cloud host your thingy boppers, you know, in yeah. our data center. And, and we've many, got all these, you know, we've got all this fancy stuff. And then when you, you know, when you really cut the mustard on it, they don't really have the fancy stuff no. and they've got no security. And whatever you just bought into is a hundred thousand times worse than what you had on premise. Yes. And, and I can't agree with that. And I've, I've run into that and I've, you know, prevented clients from doing that. You know, so many of the software companies, well, we can host it and then we can manage your network. I'm like, look at their software oh. company, let them do what they do best. Yeah. Do not let them touch your network. You know? Run away. <laughs> yeah. Run and run fast. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm guessing you've run into it because I have more than once, you know, it's just Oh like, my oh, goodness. Man. Yes. I have some old war stories about that, Kim. Yes. Well, um, we're out of time for today. I cannot thank you enough for, for joining. I enjoy the, the banter and the, the learnings <laughs> from your many years of experience. And we will do this again. All right. So for those of you, this was Kim Nielsen, founder of Computer Technologies in Michigan, and sharing with us uh, her many decades of experience. And we will definitely have Kim back on again. All right. Thanks, Kim. Thank you.